Welcome back to the show. My name's Don Van Zant, and this is the Lost Mission Podcast, where our goal is to help us as believers get back to our mission of knowing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. So it's been a minute since I've made a video and I've taken some time off. I have not had the opportunity to get back to the Galatians series, and that's what this is going to be today. This is going to be a wrapping up of the series. And if you've been following along, then you know we've only covered four chapters in the book of Galatians. And I had planned to do chapters five and six as separate videos, but I just feel like that now is the time to sort of bring this series to a close. Um, it's time to be done with it, wrap it up, and just close it out and be done. And that's what this video is going to be today. The fifth and sixth chapters of Galatians are just loaded, especially the fifth chapter. There is so much. And as I began to study this chapter, I began to see that it would be very difficult to squeeze all of the information included in the fifth chapter of Galatians into one video. So here's what I've decided to do. Since there is so much information to discuss, I've chosen to go neither deep nor broad. Rather, I've decided to make this one short, raw, and to the point. So no fancy edits, uh, no graphics or music. Um, it's just me. Just me discussing scripture. And at the end of the video, I have a short announcement, sort of an update on the future of the show. Um, so stick around to the end. Because I want to tell you guys where I'm at. You know, I said, like I said, I've taken some time off. I wanted to come back and do this video as a wrap-up to the series. And then I want to give you guys that have followed the podcast and the videos an update on where we're going in the future and what you can expect, at least somewhat. But for now, Galatians chapters 5 and 6. Let's get into it. So I'm not going to follow a verse-by-verse -verse format um, in the process of this discussion. That was never the goal in the beginning. Uh, it was intended to be a textual topical type. So the topic being legalism, the text being the book of Galatians. And that's the, the goal still yet here today in this final video. I want to follow this format of a the topic being legalism, seeing what Paul has to say about it in the text of Galatians, but not necessarily verse by verse. But I do want to begin in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, or some translations render that a yoke of bondage. So using Paul's illustration of freedom from the previous chapter, you remember he had talked about um, freedom with uh, Sarah and Hagar. He had ended chapter 4 by saying, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So he's taking that idea of freedom over into chapter 5 when he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. In many ways, this singular verse, chapter or verse 1 of chapter 5, kind of summarizes the entire book. It, it sums up all of what Paul has been trying to tell the Galatians. The most wonderful and beautiful thing about the Christian life is the freedom of, that we have true freedom for the Gentiles, these people in, in Galatia, understand they had no ties back to Torah. They were not ethnic Jews. They didn't understand what the Old Testament law 
uh, would have been about. Um, it would have been a strange thing indeed for them to be brought under the law system. They would not have understood this. So when the Judaizers, Judaizers came in and began to, to talk to um, these, these non-ethnic, uh, former pagan-believing Gentile believers, the idea of coming under the law would be completely foreign to them. That's why it wouldn't make sense for them to be brought under the law system, which is exactly the platform from which Paul has written the entire epistle to this point. Now, I've heard much discussion about antinomianism when we discuss Christian liberty or freedom in Christ. But, but antinomianism, that literally cannot be Paul's point here. It just can't be. It doesn't work with his his train of thought with his way of viewing the passage or viewing the letter and what he's thinking and writing to the Galatians, antinomianism cannot be what Paul is referring to because the Galatians were already antinomian. They already were living outside of the law. So he's not telling them don't be antinomian. They already were. They had lived in a culture where there was no Jewish law. The idea of law-keeping was foreign, completely foreign to the Galatians. So let's 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 get that in our minds. Let's understand that 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 antinomianism is not Paul's point. That's not what the point of Galatians is. Is to be antinomian. No, he's writing to a group of people that are already antinomian. So he's not telling them be antinomian. He understands that they already are. So what's the point? Why 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 are we saying that? This is why. The idea with the Galatians. Um, to bring to them ideas of or concepts of circumcision or of um, dietary restrictions as contained within the Jewish law would make no sense to them because it wasn't a part of their culture as it was a part of the culture of the Jews. And I hope that makes sense, that in a Jewish ethnic context, it made perfect sense to the Jews. It was a part of their religion. But to the Jew or to the Gentiles, the Galatians, that wasn't that wasn't the that wasn't the point. For them to be free was to be free in Christ, not free to adopt the Jewish law system. All right, not not free to adopt this Jewish law system. This would not be freedom at all, because they were being brought out of paganism. And there's so much about their pagan culture that was so vile and wretched and just horrible um, that, that now to be slapped with this new religious law system is legalism. And, and, and legalistic law-keeping, that has been my point from the beginning with this, with this series and with what I've said. Uh, legalistic law-keeping is always um, what I have seen inside of the holiness movement. And I know I've been very critical of the holiness people. Um, I, I, I have said some things that were inflammatory and that bothered a lot of them. But I want the holiness people that, that, that listen to the podcast and that watch this um, video to understand that the approach I see within the holiness movement and their approach to law, um, for one, is sure enough not antinomianism, but it is legalism. It's the opposite of antinomianism. It's pushing a way and a system onto culture that is not intended to be a part of the new covenant. <clears throat> it's, it's essentially this. If you don't keep certain laws, whatever these laws may be, if you don't keep these laws, then you will no longer be saved. 
And I feel like that is what Paul has been fighting. That's what the Judaizers were pushing against the Galatians, that if you don't keep these laws, you're not saved. Same thing I see inside the holiness movement. If you don't keep certain laws, you will no longer be saved, thus nullifying the cross of Christ. We've talked about all of that. But he's telling them, chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom we've been made free. Stand firm in this freedom. The law cannot save. The confusion surrounding antinomianism isn't concerning righteousness. It's concerning salvation. Let me let me let me say that. Let me say that again. The the confusion concerning uh, antinomianism and concerning the law of God has not been concerning righteousness. It's been concerning salvation. If you don't keep these laws, you are not saved. And I've heard these types of things. If you violate Deuteronomy 22.5, then you're not saved. That eliminates the idea of faith. It's not a discussion surrounding righteousness. It's one surrounding salvation. The law cannot save. That's not the point of the law. It's not what the law exists for. That was never the purpose of the Old Testament law. And that's not what it exists for even today. Even the good things that are contained inside of the law, and we could have a full discussion on the law and the, the good things about it, the, the merits of the law. But still, even then, the law can't save. That's not what it's for. So the freedom he is referring to here is freedom, number one, from pagan culture. And God does. When Christ saves an individual, he pulls them out of their old life and the old culture that they are part of. But also, freedom from strict codes of religious conduct. It's that proverbial ditch on both sides of the road. And that's the, the point that Paul is making throughout his entire writing in, in the book. Later on into this chapter, he talks about it even more. So for us, the idea that we are free from the ceremonies and cultural elements of Torah, um, but we're also free from the sinfulness of the world around us. It's for freedom we are made free. So for us, the idea is that we are free from the ceremonies and cultural elements of, of the Old Testament law. I don't know how to stress this enough to those that listen to the podcast. Um, most likely we're not ethnic Jews. <laughs> like our heritage isn't Jewish. And as such, we, we don't keep these ceremonies and cultural elements of Torah. But we're also free from the sinfulness of the world around us. I, and I want to stress that. For freedom, we are made free. So, so Paul is then going to spend much time in the chapter discussing how that should look, what that should feel like, and uh, discussing such things as circumcision. He's going to talk about circumcision um, in the remainder of the chapter. Then he's going to tell them that he wishes that these legalistic teachers, and he is, Paul's going hard after the legalists, as I have, in this podcast, trying to follow the way that Paul is approaching his, his writing. Paul's going to go hard after the legalists and say something that is, wow, mind-blowing, and that we could really spend some time talking about. Um, but he's going to tell these legalistic teachers that he wishes what they would do, if they want to preach circumcision so hard, preach the law so hard, you want to preach circumcision, he says he wishes they would just go ahead and just castrate themselves. You can find that in verse 12. Um, this is a cultural reference, so don't think Paul just means snarky or you know 
kind of popping off at the mouth. It's a cultural reference that, again, the Galatians would understand uh, because of the pagan uh, ritualistic uh, worship of, I believe the, the goddess, the deity, was Sibele. Uh, Vice actually wrote a very interesting article of, of all people, or of all um, organizations, Vice. Vice wrote a very interesting article about Sibele and, and the pagan rituals and the bloody uh, rituals that would occur in worship. But essentially, what these priests would do of the goddess Sibele is there, during this time, this moment, they would ritualistically castrate themselves. The Galatians would undoubtedly get that reference when Paul says, I wish these legalists would do the same thing. <laughs> um, they would emasculate themselves as a sign of devotion to the pagan idol. Paul says, I wish the legalists would take it so far as to just castrate themselves in devotion to the Old Testament law. He's doing that to highlight his point about legalism. As he has for much of the book, he's going to compare and contrast legalism against paganism as sort of two sides of the same coin, neither of which are Christian. So I, I, I want to refer this back again to those that are inside of the holiness movement. You say, well, I'm not a legalist. I, I, I don't know on an individual scale where we all land or how legalistic we may or may not be, but if your perspective is that if somebody doesn't keep Whatever Old Testament law you choose, they don't keep that, that they're not saved. That is the type of person that Paul is referring to. Remember, it's by grace we're saved, through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So, the and, and in the outworking of that in our lives, no amount of work we do saves us. No amount of work we do keeps us saved. We can talk about holiness later on and what holiness can or may or may not look like. But understand, holiness is not legalism. Legalism is not holiness. Um, and inside of a group that is so emphatic on holiness, my, my fear and my frustration at times is that we have superseded holiness um, and replaced it with legalism. We just kept the term. So neither are Christian. Legalism, paganism, obviously paganism, we would agree, is not Christian. But neither is legalism. Then he's going to start to transition the conversation um, in verse 16. But I say, see, he's, he's making a change here. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under law. So here it is. Here's the cure for legalism. Here's the cure for the flesh. The cure for both of these things that are at war with the soul of, of man is this. Walk in the spirit. Replace legalism with spirit living. Re relay, uh, replace paganism with spirit living. Replace, we mentioned worldliness, uh, with spirit living. Replace deconstruction with spirit living. Replace... Frustration with spirit living. What is the solution for all of it? It is the Spirit of God. Walk in the fullness of Christ. Walk by the Spirit. So to walk in something. What is it? What is it? What does he mean when he says to walk in the Spirit or to walk by the Spirit? The only way I know to illustrate that, it's very simple. The only way I know to illustrate that is to say it this way. Every day when I get up and go to work, I put on a pair of black Nike tennis shoes. And all day long, I walk in those 
uh, tennis shoes. I put them on every day, and, and in much the same way, we are to put on the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Just like I put those black tennis shoes on, and I walk in those every day. That's how we should feel about the Spirit of God. I, I put the Spirit on every day. It's a daily thing in my life. But he also tells them that not only are they to uh, walk by the Spirit, but they are to be led by the Spirit. And if they are, if they are led by the Spirit, they are not under law, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. How much more clear, <laughs> how much more clear can that be to us as a New Covenant, New Testament believers? If we say we believe all of the Bible, and I hear that again and again in the rhetoric surrounding legalism, I believe in all of the Bible. And so it, it, they feel like that gives them room to go back to an Old Testament passage and push that off onto somebody. But if we're going to really believe the totality of Scripture, we have to do something with this verse. If you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. For me, it begs a question. What does this odd phrase mean? What what is Paul saying here? What's his point? Um, and I love N.T. Wright's perspective on this. I'll give this to us uh, very quickly here. N.T. Wright says this is actually Exodus language. As Paul is writing this, he's, he's writing it in Exodus terms. In the same way the children of Israel were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, uh, they were being led into a literal kingdom. And I know there was this whole thing for 40 years that <laughs> there were problems there, but they were being led. Um, the Holy Spirit leads believers today. There's no pillar of cloud to show us where to go. There's no pillar of fire to show us where to go. Uh, th those visible signs just aren't are not there anymore. And you would be hard-pressed to say otherwise. Um, not like the individual that I heard many years ago preach a sermon and actually played recordings of wind and of fire sounds that, as an evidence and a proof that what he was saying was the truth. No, that's, um, uh, that is a, an illustration at best, a deception at worst, but it was a counterfeit, if anything, um, <laughs> of the, of the real and what the, the scripture speaks of. So there, there, there are no real leadings of fire and wind or of cloud today. So what do we have? We have the spirit and he leads us. He leads the believers into a heavenly kingdom. So think of this verse, think of this verse as less of a contrast between law and spirit and more of a distinction being drawn. The Spirit leads, the law points. The law points to a Messiah. Somebody's yet to come. It's pointing toward somebody. But the Spirit leads to a Messiah yet to return. I hope that provides some sense of clarity for you guys. It helps me. <laughs> that the law points back to Christ. The Spirit leads forward to Christ. It's a beautiful story of redemption. It's all about Christ. It's the story of redemption as we're being led by the Spirit, not under the law. We're continually growing, and as such, fending off and fighting the flesh. That's part of the, the outgrowth of sanctification and the work of God in our lives. So we walk in the Spirit by putting Him on every day, uh, but we're also being led by Him, growing in Him, being kept by Him. As He leads us out of sin and out of legalism, He is leading us into a heavenly kingdom. Now, 
let me make this point here to those of you that are like, yeah, we get it. We, we agree with you. Legalism is bad. I don't want you to feel as though that you are just being led away from something. If you're being called, if, if, if God is doing a work in your life calling you away from legalism, then thank God for that. But realize that, that it must be replaced with the Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to lead yourself off a cliff because you're leading yourself. It's not the Spirit of God leading you. We must be under subjection of God, under subjection of the Spirit. You know, like the Holy Spirit is to guide us. That's His duty. That's what He does. Uh, so allow the Spirit to lead you, and evermore keep Him present. Put Him on, just like you put on your, your tennis shoes every day. Put the Spirit on every day, and He, and he is going to, uh, to lead us. So, so then what he's going to do um, in the latter portion of the chapter, he's going to compare and contrast the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, something that really we could devote weeks to to discuss each and every one of these works of the flesh and each and, one of, each and every one of these fruit of the Spirit, and just we, we don't have time to do that. But suffice to say, the works of the flesh are exactly what we would think. They're as bad as you would think um, and more. The flesh is horrible, disgusting, it's, it's terrible. Um, and since we're not going to go into heavy nuance, let me just share a helpful method of looking at the works of the flesh. These are taken from Warren Wiersbe. He provides a very helpful breakdown in his commentary on the book of Galatians. Um, first of all, let's recognize these works as what they are. I know that the, the, the language here, he refers to them as works, but these are sins. We need to label them and understand that is what they are. Don't give ourselves room to call sin anything other than what sin is, even if it's present in our lives. And it is. We fight with sin. I mean, go read Romans 7. You'll, you'll, you'll see what Paul has to say about it. They're sinful. Uh, these aren't mistakes. They're not hang-ups or struggles. Let me just say this. <laughs> so for many years, sitting inside of holiness church testimony services, I would hear people say, oh, so-and-so is just struggling, or I'm struggling, or I'm going through a valley. And I'm not taking away from that because there are struggles and valleys associated with our lives. But I do feel like that a lot of the time, those things that we were referring to as a valley or a struggle was our own struggle with sin. And if we would name it as sin, I think we could be more honest with ourselves, with God, and... Um, find the work of the Spirit more present in our lives. So while they are struggles, they're also truly sinful. All right, Warren Wearsby, here's what he has to say. He categorizes the works of the flesh in three different categories. Sensual sins, superstitious sins, and social sins. All right? Sensual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are the things that, that have more of a sexual connotation to them superstitious sins, idolatry, sorcery, those things that people get involved with that are sort of the metaphysical things of life. And then social sins, and that's the largest category. Enmity, strife, jealousy, uh, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, um, which, I mean, obviously orgies would fall under the, the sensual portion as well, but <laughs> it's a social thing. Uh, and things like these. All right, so three helpful categories. Then he closes the chapter by discussing the fruit of the Spirit and admonishes the Galatians to keep in step with the Spirit. It's interesting to me that he does not encourage them to keep in step with the law. 
And again, to the holiness movement, my friends that are out there, and I love you guys, like, there's still love there. <laughs> um, I see pointing back to keeping the law, emphasis on works. He doesn't tell them that. He tells them to follow the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He tells them to keep in step with the Spirit. So he doesn't encourage them to keep in step with the law. And then, finally, chapter 6. I only have two verses I'm going to actually highlight here. Uh, Verse 1, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 1. Such a powerful verse. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Paul's going to begin the chapter by dealing with the issue of restoration. Such a beautiful and a powerful thing in the Christian life and in the church. If your brother is caught in a transgression, restore him. Transgression could be many things. He lists these works of the flesh. It could be any of those. He spent much time dealing with legalism. It could be those. Most likely, it would be some of these works of the flesh. He tells them to restore him. Don't belittle him. Don't tell him. If you don't like it, then you can leave. Which is what was told to me. Don't attack him. Restore him. Consider yourselves. You could be tempted too. This is the true heart of Christian fellowship and brotherhood. We're to be one. We're we're to bear one another's burdens. Carry one another. Be a shoulder to lean on. To, to cry on, if need be. Sadly, for many legalists, and the legalistic people that I have dealt with, and the legalistic pastors and preachers that I've, I, I've personally interacted with, it's conform or leave. That's it. That's what we get. My question to my holiness brethren that go about with this on their lips is, do you truly believe that this is the Spirit of Christ. The attitude, if you don't like what we're doing, then you can leave. Is that really what what God is calling us to do? Is that really what Christ is telling us to do? And to myself, I'm watching myself. I'm trying to be careful of myself so that I'm not tempted as well. Um, For all of us, we, we we should watch out. Watch out for the brother that has fallen. Restore him and then keep a watch on ourselves as well. So much can be said there about accountability and, and how good and, and necessary that is, but I just won't, I won't dive into all that. And then in verse 18, the last verse of the entire book, Paul's going to just close it out. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's a pretty straightforward farewell, a benediction, a closing. He's done. But I love what he does. He calls the Galatians brothers. All through this chapter, all through this book, the Galatians have been 
a mess. And Paul's spoken to them very harshly and, and has really kind of come down on them. You could sense at times even the anger in Paul. They were dealing with pagan influences, with legalistic influences. Paul was perplexed at one point, but he ends the letter by calling them brothers. So in the conclusion of this study, I say, I believe that holiness or that that legalism prevails in the holiness mindset inside of the movement. I believe that. Um, many of you disagree, but I, I really see it. But at the same time, you're my brothers. The holiness brethren that are out there, you are my brothers. At times, I found myself perplexed when I would go to individuals or to churches or to people and have this conversation, and most of the time they didn't listen. <laughs> I found myself perplexed, like, ugh, just kind of frustrated. But you're my brothers. My greatest desire is for truth and for unity around the Spirit to exist in the holiness movement, there, there are people that, that, that the moving of the Spirit is the prime thing with them. They emphasize that in such powerful and wonderful ways. Um, now, there may be some nuance that we could discuss about that, but, but, but their emphasis is on the Spirit. If they're going to really emphasize the Spirit, then why, why, why would we not emphasize unity around the truth as well? Do I see unity around the truth sometimes? Yes. I mean, I don't want to make a blanket statement that covers everyone. Um, other times, no. Again, I don't want to make a blanket statement. But the point is this. You are my brothers. Men and women, pastors, preachers, youth ministers, evangelists, you're my brothers. And I have for many years felt a strong connection to you guys. I've loved you guys. They're my brothers. There's been disagreement there, but they're my brothers. And this brings me to my point today. This brings me to my point of all of this. And I just have a statement that I'm going to read um, about the state of this show and this podcast and, and where we're at. Due to the divisive nature of my teachings on legalism, the backlash received from my perspective, I've decided to take some time off from the show. For the past almost two years, this podcast has been my heart and soul. I've poured countless hours of research into it, have sacrificed time with my wife and children, and received such monikers as false prophet and bitter blogger due to statements I've made on this show. However, I've attempted to remain true to the text of scripture and historical data. So... I do not say this to come across as the victim or to portray myself with some sort of shock and awe factor. I knew my words would cause a stir, and to some extent, that was my goal. I wanted to create conversations within the holiness movement. I wanted the people, the preachers, the pastors, and the lay members to think seriously about their views and to hold them to Scripture. For at the end, if Scripture is not on our side, we are in the wrong regardless of culture or tradition. At times, I've rejoiced and felt like I've made some small difference. At others, I've felt like a colossal failure. In the end, God will judge which of these statements has been true. I've never claimed to have perfect theology. Even now, 
see many flaws in my own biblical worldview, but I'm working and praying to grow closer to Christ every day. That said, it's time for a break. Time for me to step back for a while and breathe in the life around me. My kids are growing. They need their dad. My wife needs her husband. Will I return? Maybe. That's in God's hands. You can rest assured, though, whether through this podcast or some other avenue, I will continue to stand against legalism, abuse, um, undue influence, and stand for the gospel and a life in the Spirit. Due to all that's happened, I find myself in a, uh, or I found myself in a new body of believers. And I need to take time to focus on this new venture, new friends, new family in Christ. I need to focus on that. I want to say to everyone that has listened to this show, whether you loved it or hated it, thank you for giving me your time. Thank you for downloading these episodes or logging on to YouTube or through Facebook or however you have kept up with the podcast. Sincerely, thank you. Thank you for every prayer, every critique, all the love and hate. And, like I say at the bottom of every show, grace and peace. Goodbye.